Hi, friends. Welcome to Reframing Neurodiversity. I'm your host, Melissa Jackson, and I'm here to tell you it's time to see neurodivergence for what it truly is, a gift that benefits us all. As a former teacher, mom to two neurodivergent kids, and as a neurodivergent person myself, I know it's possible to see your neurowiring in a new way. That's why I'm on a mission to reframe the way we view neurodivergence as a collective and to empower us as neurodivergent adults and parents with the language and tools to advocate for ourselves and our kids. Join me each week as my guests and I share our personal experiences paired with cutting edge research, leaving you feeling seen, validated, and proud of the way your brain works. Ready to get started? Let's dive into today's episode. Hi, friends. Welcome to Reframing Neurodiversity. I am your host, Melissa Jackson, and I'm so excited to have a very special guest here with me today, my friend and neurodiversity-affirming speech and language pathologist, Jackie Jebbian-Garcia. And what I love about Jackie, and I'm so excited to dive into today, is that she brings the sensory experience and her expertise about the nervous system into the work that she does with kids, which is just such a needed, necessary component in understanding and truly supporting our neurodivergent kids. So Welcome, Jackie. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yay, me too. Okay, so let's start from the beginning. And why don't you tell us a bit about what brought you to this field of neurodiversity and why, as a speech and language pathologist, you're feeling this need to really shift the lens in how we support kids? Yeah, so it was 10 years ago that I've I've been a speech language pathologist, but it wasn't until about two years ago that I was diagnosed with ADHD and through becoming a mom. So that's almost seven years ago. I really had to dive into the sensory world because of my children and being able to understand them better to co-regulate with them the way that their body needs. So it went from a passion to like a personal passion on steroids because it was all based on like my personal experiences. I so get that because I feel like it's like as professionals in the field so often you learn things in a book on how to do things, right? And then you walk it in real time and have these experiences in your own life with your own children. And I feel like it's really that moment to like, reflect and take a look on, wait, there's more to it here, right? Like I think we both connect on that. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, based on the lived experiences that not only I experienced, right, but then now that my children are experiencing, it led me to really expand and unlearn what we learned in grad school, which never really aligned with my heart, meaning like the deficit model. But I just did not know that there was another way. So in 2020, I just really dove into learning or unlearning and evolving to align with the neurodiversity affirming approach and movement. And then I realized, but wait, I am neurodivergent myself. That's when I opened up Create Yourself and just being able to educate parents and help kids and just adults, everyone self-advocate for their needs, their sensory needs, their learning profiles, like 
everything because there's nothing wrong with that, right? Like it's our superpower and just that shift in not only the lenses globally, but also in ourselves. And so I feel like that whole personal experience I've gone through, it was so powerful for myself and my healing journey, like my self-esteem, just being more gentle with myself. And then just wanting to share that with the world, really. It's like, there are tools to heal. We have more strengths than weaknesses. And it's so powerful. I feel like everyone could just shift their lenses on how they view the behaviors of children in a more like, oh, wait, actually, he's not in control right now. Like his brain is in survival brain. Um, That has become my biggest mission to just help shift the, the lenses of how you know, neurodivergent children are viewed, even adults too. It needs to happen. Like, right? like this is like our mission. Absolutely. Together. And I know you and I have really connected on this. And as you're talking, I'm like, you know, what I'm hearing is this thread of like part of the neurodivergent experience, part of the strength that lies there is this, this passion one, this like sense of like justice of wanting to like expose something that's not right and make it right. You know, there's that, that sense of justice. That's such a common characteristic. And that intuition. You're like, I always knew in my heart something was off. I just didn't have like the language and the resources to understand it. And so I feel like as neurodivergent adults, often, even if we've been educated in the, the old outdated model, when that light goes on and we're like, oh, wait, I was right all along. That little fire in my belly, that little nudge in my heart, I was right. And then we can kind of like acknowledge that within ourselves and lean into that to help other people to feel Mm -hmm. better about their experiences. I see that so much in these entrepreneurs who are coming back to the work, right? It's like the people with a lived experience have that fire because we have those neurodivergent strengths and that depth of understanding because we've been through it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that little gut, I knew I was right this whole time. Right. Like, well, first of all, like we didn't, we didn't know, right. Cause we were taught to mask and, you know, do all the things the way that it should be. But that little gut feeling is actually interoception. It's a sensory system. And the reason why I have done certifications in sensory trauma and somatic trauma therapy is because those lived experiences, it's not like a big T, but it has been trauma in, in yeah. our bodies. We've right. stored it as like, oh, no, the music's not that loud. Like, you're fine. Oh, no, actually, I am not. I'm sensitive to auditory simulation, you know? So it all of that, like, oh, you're fine. No, it's not too loud. Like, minimizing her. You know, we have been taught to not listen to our body. You know, so somatic trauma therapy, sensory therapy is really like getting in your body again and and realizing, oh, wait, no, actually, I need to get my loops and just put them in and then I would be fine. Like learning those accommodations and being like, wait, that's fine. It's not too loud for you, but it's too loud for me. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? Like there is nothing wrong with that. But we grew up thinking, oh man, why does it bother me and not them? Or like, oh yeah, I should be fine. But no, because I stored that in my body. And now I could say, yes, I was not fine. And actually now I am because I'm acknowledging that, right? So that's just 
an example that just came to my head because I've had to work on my interoception sensory system. I've had to work on neuroception, which we'll talk about that later with the polyvagal theory, but it's all relative. It's like our level of consciousness becoming aware. (laughs) There's not a lion in front of me, but my body feels like there is a lion in front of me. Like there is a threat because the music is too loud. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. And honoring that like we aren't all experiencing the world in the same way. Like you feel like there's a lion in front of you, but someone else doesn't even notice the lion. And then, you know, and so just acknowledging that. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I want you to talk to us about like, what is interception? Let's dive into some of these terms that people might not be familiar with before we, we get too into it. So interoception, that is one of the three internal sensory systems, right? We have all the five that we learned about in school, the external, the sight, taste, smell, touch, and hearing. So, and then we have three internal senses and interoception is one of them. It's really like becoming aware of, oh, I need to go to the bathroom or, oh, I'm hungry. Like, right, like those internal organs. And then we have proprioception, which is like seeking that deep pressure. So if your child is like just crashing, you're jumping on the couch and just crashing on the couch, they're really seeking that proprioceptive input, which is like that deep pressure on the joints. And then there's vestibular. So it's like head movement. So if your child is spinning around, they're really seeking like that vestibular input. And so once we know that, like if we see their behaviors, that's what their body is seeking in that moment. So at that point, if we could see them from like a neural science lens or like a sensory lens or a nervous system lens or a polyvagal lens, I mean, there are so many lenses, but it's all relative to like seeing them and their body asking for something that it needs versus like, oh, he doesn't want to sit down. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that negative lens. So once we know what their body is seeking with the interoceptive sense, we're able to really get in tune with our body, which is really what somatic therapy is all about. (laughs) Yeah. And then as the adults, when we're aware of these three internal senses, we can kind of then start to notice behaviors. Mm -hmm. Like if my kid is constantly wanting to jump on me and hang on me or crash into things like, oh, okay, like they need this proprioception. They need people like you who are neurodiversity affirming being like, yes, and that's valid. And here are some things you can do for your child that's going to help them stay regulated. Am I hearing that right? Yep. Yep. Okay. You're on it. You're on it. Okay. And so how does this coordinate with polyvagal theory? Because polyvagal theory and bringing this into our approaches in the classroom and how we raise our kids is really valuable information. Do these two things intersect or are they separate? How would you describe it? Yeah. So I started with the sensory, right? The bridge to sensory therapy and polyvagal theory for me and doing all my research was our communication style, believe it or not. It's the missing link. So Stephen Porges is the one who developed the polyvagal theory in 1994 And he really, really focuses on this being the the way that we can understand how safety, co-regulation, and connection 
really are the paramount for a healthy human experience. It was the aha moment for me because I wasn't understanding like why I was getting responses in a way where it was like a lion is in front of them. (laughs) We usually communicate using like, you know, WH questions, imperative sentences, but learning about declarative language has really changed my ability to co-regulate and connect with my kids and then also my clients. So how do you do that? So instead of asking what do you want, right? Like, what do you, what do you want to play with? Or what do you want to eat for breakfast? I just spend the whole day using, I wonder, I notice, I see, like just changing the words in your sentence. Like, I, I wonder what you feel like eating this morning, or I wonder what you want to play with today. And just removing that threat of that demand to ask a question, right? Totally. Yeah. I hear what you're saying, Jackie. And I feel like the thing that really lands with me is how this connects to like safety and connection. And when we don't feel safe in our bodies, we're literally unavailable to learn. Right. And then we have these behaviors that we're not really understanding where they're originating from. And we're reacting to these behaviors that are really just making it worse for the kid. Right. Mm -hmm. And so as a parent trying to better understand how to support our child or how to communicate with our teacher, like how would you recommend starting this conversation? Because so many parents don't have the wealth of information. You know, they're not speech and language pathologists. They're not educators, but they can observe their child's behavior. Like what you're saying, like you can, like you taught me on how to look at my own child's behavior and understand her sensory style. And then I was able to respond more appropriately. Do you have suggestions for parents on how can we look at our kids, the way that they're behaving and understand how to support them and how to like communicate with the professionals that are there to help? It's. A challenge. I'm living this right now with my own kids and then with the students that I'm working with right now. And I think that like polyvagal theory is like a gentle approach, right? It's a gentle approach to how we observe the child and even in ourselves. But just like we're gentle with ourselves and with the child, I have learned that I need to be gentle with my communication partner or with my team in how I educate. So modeling is the best way, right? To teach without directly causing a threat. So I am advocating for the students and for my children, but then I also have to be aware of, am I causing the teacher to go in fight or flight right now because it becomes personal, right? And so doing it in a gentle way while still being assertive and and confident that like if this child needs a fidget toy in order to do the worksheet, then this is going to be an accommodation to have it during the worksheet, not as a reward after. Like I think that this is the shift where it's like these accommodations need to be accessible at all times, not in order to get something done. It's like, no, he needs that fidget toy to stay seated in order to stay regulated to do the worksheet. 
Right. Does that make sense? It does. Rather than it's like, if you behave in this neurotypical fashion, then here's your treat at the end for masking and conforming to societal expectations. And what I hear you saying is, no, let's look at what's happening for the child, what's causing these behaviors and seeing their needs as valid and give that to them, whether it's a fidget because they they need that to move their body in order to to do the task you're asking of them, right? And then it's like respecting the kid and the way they're wired. And I think that's the whole shift we're talking about, right? That's this whole shift from the deficit model of here's the right way to be, to be neurotypical, and here's your reward for being neurotypical versus let's educate on the differences that exist and acknowledge honor and value, right? Right. But what I feel, I so feel you. I mean, I, I wonder how, how you experience this working with teachers in a classroom environment now. It can be so tricky to bump up against other people's beliefs mm-hmm. <laughs> and egos and, mm-hmm. you know, misperceptions. And I know I navigate this a lot with trying to educate in a way where the teacher doesn't feel attacked, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's really a dance. And I feel it's like a craft you have to hone, (laughs) like to feel into like where they're at, to educate with compassion and empathy for that they're doing their best, but then also trying to bring this new awareness to like, there there are other ways to do it. And it's it's difficult. Have you found yourself in experiences like oh, that? Oh yeah, they call it in the coaching world rolling with resistance. Okay. And and so it was the biggest challenge. It was like that pushback. So first of all, vulnerability, it's the most powerful tool that you can have as a human, right? Like sharing yeah. your vulnerable moments. Like I I was using examples like what they were doing to the students. But asking them, like, if your manager did that to you, how would you respond? And she's like, yeah, I totally freeze. So then we're able to talk about the nervous system responses and how they are able to see students in their class freeze, like not respond. And then they would be like, oh, yeah, I I get the same way. And Mm -hmm. so then we would add modifications to the way that they were trying to get this student to engage. And once I would ask questions that would relate to their nervous system, that's when I was getting aha moments without them feeling attacked. So having an understanding of just that, like how their nervous system responses are, they were able to become a little bit more aware of how they were triggering these negative behaviors in their class. Right. Yes. And then it's also creates this opportunity to shift the lens of what is a negative behavior, right? Right. And so do you talk to your teachers and parents about like top down versus bottom up behaviors and kind of understanding that our behaviors that we're seeing aren't necessarily good or bad, but a bodily reaction that's valid? Yeah. Can you speak a bit about top down and bottom up? Yeah. And, you know, I have Dr. Della Hook's little flip book here because she has a really nice way of going about it. It's just a great resources for whoever's listening to read because it talks about polyvagal theory and social emotional development. It's like so important how they're not doing it on purpose. Right, <laughs> they're not exactly. behaving that way on purpose. They just don't know, right? They don't right. know what they're even feeling in their body. 
And so at that point, they're like not in control. And it's our jobs as adults to (laughs) co-regulate. And like, that's like the biggest part. But it's like, if we as adults don't know how to self-regulate, then how are we going to co-regulate? So I think that that is such a big part to this shift is us doing our work and learning our nervous system and what our body needs to stay regulated in order to help this child become regulated and how it's not just the external behavior. There's so many things going on at a neurological level and a nervous system level that if we could see it in that way, our response will be more different. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's about getting curious to that rather than just immediately judging a behavior because it's maybe inconvenient for us or it's triggering us and then we're dysregulated. And, you know, we know that without emotional regulation, people really aren't available to, to learn, to communicate. And so when we've got a child that's dysregulated and we're coming at it and then we're dysregulated and we're trying to solve a problem from a rational space. Like like that is not going to happen. That is exactly the point. Yeah. So it's like, I hear what you're saying. Like it ultimately starts with us as the adult, because if we aren't in a space that that's calm and able to get curious and see them and hold space for them to calm down, then we can't co-regulate. We can't teach them how to calm themselves, come back to a space where they can actually communicate from their thinking brain and not from bodily reactions that are out of their control and are legitimate responses from their nervous system. Right. Exactly. And they're literally in their survival brain. They're exactly. Yeah. So now like when I experience like a student or my own child dysregulated, I, I'm like, okay, this is another opportunity for me to practice co-regulation because it's not natural, right? It's, this is effortful. Like this is, it's not the easy way, right? No, I feel like my, my football, like pain on my, I'm like, I got this, let's go. (laughs) looking at it as an opportunity, like those, those triggers as opportunities. Cause I don't know about you, but I get triggered. If someone else is highly dysregulated, it can dysregulate me, just their dysregulation. So it's like, okay. And especially with my own kids and stuff, it's like, I feel like, okay, what's the work within me? Why am I feeling such a big reaction to their big reaction, you know? And so, but if we don't pause to get curious and tend to what's going on inside us as adults, it's like that's where the pattern just continues, mm-hmm. right? And we continue to label kids as bad and naughty and we don't actually get to the root of what's causing things. And if we don't get to the root of what's causing things, how do we actually solve anything, right? Exactly. So that's why I just love that you're bringing these components into the work that you're doing because I think the model we've all been trained in has been the flip, right? It's mm-hmm. look at the behavior, put a Band-Aid on the behavior, label the behavior as bad, and adults are totally off the hook. And I like right. what you kind of brought to that flipping the script of that compassion lens. Like imagine ourselves. Sometimes we speak to kids in ways that if another adult spoke to us or expected of us, we would be totally dysregulated and upset. So it's like respecting the child as an individual and their feelings and reactions as valid through a more compassionate space. Don't you think? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. I know, I know, I know. So then it's just the work of going in and it's this paradigm shift of how do we compassionately educate 
other professionals, other parents, and bring them into this epiphany that we've both had. And I think a lot of the epiphany comes because of our lived experience, right? Yeah. So we've had the school knowledge, right. but what really connects all the dots is because we've been through it mm-hmm. and we've felt it and we're like, no, no, no this is real. Like, and I can tell you in my bones, this is real. This is real. Yes. And so I think now it's just our work. And we talk about this all the time. Like, how are we going to spread this word? Like, can we make a difference? Exactly. (laughs) Is, is not put people on guard and, and like we're criticizing because people are working hard and doing their best. Right. But also educating and being like, there's a new way to look at this that actually works so much better for everyone. And I think that's the dance and the craft that is like, how do we break into opening people's minds to just look at things in a new way? I completely agree. Even 10 years ago, if I could go back to the families that I worked with and just like apologize, right? Because we didn't know better. There's so much power in in knowing. And when you know better, and I think that's why our mission is so aligned because we really do want to educate and just share the awareness, right? And so when you know better, then you can do better. (laughs) And I think that's what's going to make this shift, you know? Agreed. And I think it's the disarming approach because so many of us, like we're talking about, I can look back to my parenting five, 10 years ago and just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I responded that way or said that thing or why didn't I do this? And it's like, Knowing that that's part of the human experience, that as professionals, as parents, we're all going to have those moments. We're all just figuring it out. And so as new research, new information comes to light that maybe shines some light on some of the things we aren't doing right or didn't mm-hmm. do right, mm-hmm. it's not to like bristle and like defend because it's it makes us look at these things that feel bad. It's to be like, this is part of being human. We're all learning and evolving. And that component of repair when we need to, to go back and say, Hey, I'm sorry. I I wish I would have known I didn't, but I know better now. So I'm going to try to do better now. And just having that be the energy around it in hopes that people will be more willing to embrace this new way moving forward. And narrating too, like modeling and, and narrating has been my two biggest things because, you know, being a highly sensitive person, we do feel other people's emotions at the same intensity, if not more, right? Especially our own children. Showing that authenticity and narrating like what is going on. Oh, mama's feeling like my heart is going really fast right now. And I'm feeling anxious because we're late or because whatever. And just narrating everything so that they understand because what happened to you and I, when we were kids, you immediately feel like it's your fault, right? Like at least for me, I was like, it's my fault. It's my fault. So I don't want them to think, oh, I'm feeling anxious or I'm in fight or flight right now because of them, you know, just like the pressure of we're late right now and I'm just feeling anxious. I'm going to do some deep breaths right now so that I could feel a little bit more calm so that they don't internalize that. Oh, it's my fault. Right. So I do think that narrating is very powerful in our own bodies, what's going on in our own bodies, but also like what's going on in theirs. You know, I feel like you are having a really hard time right now because your socks are bothering you. Like this is Mm -hmm. like a daily struggle. Okay, so let's see. We have a problem. How are we going to solve this problem? And then collaboratively, Dr. Ross Green, he talks about proactive and collaborative solutions. And that's been also very helpful in like, okay, let's do this together. 
Otherwise, if we're like, oh, the socks are fine, the socks are fine. Right. The line is in front of him. Yeah. It's not in front of me, but it's in front of him. So that's a traumatic threat in his body. So making sense of it so that he's not like, oh, no, why are the socks bothering me? (laughs) Why can't I just not be bothered by the socks and then feel bad about himself? Because then we have a self-esteem issue. 100%. Because it's like the old version, the the outdated model that we were raised in was to dismiss the feelings, right? Like you're fine. Your socks are fine. Don't be ridiculous. This shouldn't bother you. And then like you're saying, the child internalizes it as, oh, I'm wrong. I'm bad. Something's wrong with me for feeling this way. And it does perpetuate the negative self-thinking and the low self-esteem and- But I love this as just such a tangible action step that parents can do of like just the narrating, like for ourselves, I'm feeling so stressed right now because I'm running late and I have these things and like just letting the child know it's not their fault. Because I think also as highly sensitive people, we tend to take things on like you sense when your mom or dad is upset Mm -hmm. or anxious. And then if nothing's being explained, we tend to then make it about us exactly. and be like, oh, it's me. I'm bad. I'm wrong. And it's like the more we can intercept that negative internal messaging and talk through things, like you're saying, I just see that being so powerful for the parent and the child. It, it's powerful, right? Because you start thinking of, I didn't realize the negative thoughts, right? Like yeah. I didn't even realize. And then through this healing and learning of my own nervous system and sensory system and all the things, my learning for everything it's like oh okay if I could be gentle with myself and now I understand why I do things in this way or things bother me in this way then I could rewrite those thoughts you know and rewrite those limiting beliefs and ultimately rewire our brain (laughs) yeah which is very powerful it is So So powerful. And shame lives in the dark, right? So then we're like speaking out the thing of, oh, this is hard for me. I'm struggling with this. This is not my area. And being open about like, I've been noticing that more and more as I embrace my own neurowiring and my own learning differences and just owning it rather than like hiding it. Yeah, It's amazing how people in your life are like compassionate and like, oh yeah. And you stop making it so much of this thing that's wrong with you. It's just part of the human experience that we all have things we're better at, things that are harder. And that vulnerability piece we're all resisting so much is the freedom, Mm -hmm. the answer to compassion and love and connection and all the things. I've been starting my session, like just my rapport with the middle schoolers that I work with by talking about that, about my differences, my ADHD. Um, If you go into my speech therapy room, like the lights are off. I have galaxy lights on. It's very sensory friendly. And so I am like, I have sensitive eyes. I'm sensitive to sounds. Like that's why I have calming music on right now. And that vulnerability really made them feel so comfortable, even on the first session. Like, you know, we all have different brains. We process the world differently, but we're all here to work on speech goals or whatever. And it's my superpower, right? Yeah. Well, it's so permission giving to the child, to the other person, right? Because we all have our stuff. But if we're all hiding it away and pretending to be perfect, it's just breeding the insecurity. So when you're Mm -hmm. like, hey, these are my differences and I'm good with it. And you're modeling it, not just saying it, but like you're embracing it. And that's where it's at. And it changes everything. You know what response I got right away was this boy said, 
I'm autistic. Like right after I said, I have ADHD and he goes, I'm autistic. And I was like, yes, <laughs> yes. I love that. That's what it's all about. Yeah. You know, like we're all in this together. We're all yeah. different. There's no reason to feel like we need to hide or be ashamed. It's like, get curious about each other and celebrate what we're good yeah. at and help each other out with the things that are harder. Yeah. You know, exactly. it doesn't need to be more complicated than that. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Jackie. I'm yeah. so glad you came on today. How can our listeners get in touch with you if they want to connect with you? Yes. My Instagram is at create yourself co. Um, my website is createyourselfco.com and send me a DM. I do respond and I would love to see how I could help you in any way. Amazing. Mm -hmm. And we'll link all your information in the show notes too. So it's right there for everybody. Yay. But thank you so much for being here. I love the work you're doing. So keep it up. You know how I feel about you. So thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. Remember to subscribe and review so you don't miss a thing. Craving a way to support your child and their big feelings? Head to the show notes to snag my free co-regulate with your child video series and I'll email you all the details. Can't wait to see you next time.